Hey there, everybody. We are so glad you joined us today. No matter what you've had going on this week, we are so glad you're here and you are welcome here because at Menlo Church, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect and anything is possible. We hope you'll enjoy the message. Let's take a look. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to say hi to everybody at all of our campuses, uh, people that are joining us online. I'm so glad you're here. I want to start with a few questions. You ever have this happen? You never manage your money. You have no savings account. You don't keep track of your spending. You got no budget. You never pay off your credit card debt. But you wake up one morning and discover you're a millionaire. Or uh, you never work out. You eat whatever you feel like. You have no exercise program. You spend the night in a lazy boy chair watching TV, but one day you discover you can run a marathon. Or you're single, you never bathe, you never deodorize, you never brush your teeth, you never wash your clothes. You come to church one day, and the most beautiful, attractive person you've ever seen says, come sit next to me, you smell fantastic. And of course, that never happens, and here's the point. You can live by design, or you can live by default. If I live by design, I will be intentional about my life. I have a purpose greater than myself, and I pursue it with zeal. I look for friends that will hold me accountable to my values. I examine my life on a regular basis. I live with a strong sense of determination. Classic picture of this in the Bible is Jesus. When he was 12 years old, his mom scolded him for staying behind in Jerusalem at the temple. Why were you searching for me, he asked, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Amazing sense of purpose. And we see it all the way through his life to the very end when it says, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And I love that's an old translation, set his face. It's a, a, a rare, uh, the Greek word is sterizo, and it meant not just to decide something, but uh, to be resolute, to be fixed in purpose, to uh, make it uh, so that you will not be turned back. So I can live by design with my one and only life that God gives me, or I can live by default. Now, this looks very different. To live by default means I just follow the path of least resistance. I just kind of drift. I know something's wrong. I'm stressed, or I'm tired, or my marriage is stagnant, or I have bad habits, or I'm not connected with God in the way that I would want to be. I'm not becoming the person living the life I'd want to, but uh, I don't have the energy of commitment to do what's right. People at work have a bad attitude, I just kind of do too. And that's where we end up by drift. If I do not choose gratitude by design, I get ingratitude by default. If I don't choose community by design, I get isolation by default. If I don't choose joy by design, I get resentment by default. To live by design does not mean that you have to be hyper-organized or a list maker or something like that. It just means to embrace the, the life that God has for you and live by your values. Now, in this series, we've looked at the need for patience in designing your life. 
We looked at the role of vocation, amazing message by Dave Evans around that one. Last week, we looked at Solomon and wisdom or desire, which way you're going to live. So for this message, I want to go back to the original design for human life. The prototype is known as Adam. Adam is a word that can simply mean man or human. And I want to talk about uh, four core dimensions of every human life that are in the Adam story. I want to make this real practical, so I want to challenge everybody to ask the question, am I living by design or by default in any of these areas? And choose one today where you may want to ask God to help you to live by design. And I want us all to experience the wonder and the worship of the marvel of God's design because we so easily forget this. So here we go. First of all, God gave Adam, and he gives to you and me, a bodily life. You have a body. Now, everything that exists was designed by God. Genesis starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that word for created, the Hebrew word bara, is used about 50 times in the Bible, but only of God. God's always the subject of it because only God can do this. The reason that we love design is that we're made in the image of God, and God is the ultimate designer, and our universe came by design not by default. It is not an accident. It has a purpose. It has a function, and it is good. But in my humble opinion, God's greatest design is the human body, your body. The psalmist marveled. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You, your body, was made by God, by design, and by, not by default. There's a great book by a doctor, Paul Brandon, Philip Yancey, called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, and it describes this, and I just want to marvel at this for a moment. You began as a single fertilized cell. While you were still in your mother's womb, that single cell led to 60,000 miles of capillaries and blood vessels forming precisely when and where they were needed. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. A Nobel Prize winning Yale mathematician wrote about the development of a human body from a single cell, instructions in DNA, and this is what he wrote. The complexity of the mathematical models of how these things are done is beyond human comprehension. Even though I am a mathematician, I look at this with marvel. How do these instruction sets not make mistakes as they build what is us? It's a mystery. It's a magic. It's divinity. And he got it right the third time. In newborn infants, there is a hole in the septum between two ventricles of the heart that closes at precisely the right moment at birth to allow for the oxygenation of blood. Your body has 39 trillion cells. Your body also has 39 trillion bacteria. How does your immune system know which cells to attack and which to leave alone? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes are only 1% the weight of your head. They have 120 million cones. Those cones are so sensitive that the smallest unit of light, one photon will register on them. My son is getting a doctorate in physics, and he told me a joke about photons. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> photon checks into a hotel. Desk clerk says, do you have any luggage? And the photon says, no, I'm traveling light. 
Golly, you're cold today. Man, this is church. No, no, I don't want sympathy applause. Um, your eye is capable of seeing the flame from a single candle at a distance of 15 miles. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Tell you how amazing the sense of smell is. If a male moth smells a single molecule of pheromone from a girl moth three miles away, he will not eat or rest until he tracks down that captivating girl moth, and one molecule of pheromone per mile is enough for him to track her down. Author and physician Lewis Thomas wondered, why people make such a fuss over test tube babies. He said the real miracle was God's idea, the union of a sperm and an egg that results in another human being bearing the image of God. He writes, the mere existence of that cell should be one of the greatest astonishments on the earth. People ought to be walking around all day, all through their waking hours, calling to each other in endless wonderment, talking of nothing except that cell. So for just a moment, can we praise God that he created not only the entire universe, all of the galaxies and stars and dark black holes and dark matter, but also your body from a single cell, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. What an amazing thing that God has made. And here's what Adam and Eve knew about their bodies that you also ought to know. Uh, their bodies, your body, my body, are gifts from God. They're, they're kind of loners. They're part of God's creation, and that means they need care. So how are you doing at taking care of the body God gave you? If you loaned your car to a friend and they treated your car like you treat the body God gave you, would you be happy? If you are living by God's design, is there anything about your body that God would want you to change? Maybe like just about the way you give your body rest. So interesting in this amazing design story, Genesis 1, it says that God separated the light from the darkness, and then God called the light day, and he called the dark night. It does not say what we would expect that he called the light light. It says he called the day, which is a period of light, a unit of time. The idea is, in other words, he was creating time. God made the day for you to work and play, and God made the night for you to? <laughs> We're not too sure about that. To rest to sleep, okay? and, and, and God knows how our bodies need that, especially where we live here. And then God made the Sabbath, which was to be a day of doing nothing, so that I would remember again that everything is not on my shoulders, it's on God's shoulders, and I could be free, kind of like a child. So, so are you engaging in Sabbath rest? Do you rest well every evening? Do you have times where you just do nothing? Do you allow the body God gave you to recharge? How about this? How are you feeding the body God gave you? God uh, created Adam and Eve, and you might know this if you know the story. He had them eat. He had a very particular diet picked out, uh, and it was a vegetarian diet. They would eat from the trees in the garden, and it was delicious, and it was good for them. And there were no Dorito trees or Oreo trees. People will sometimes make a meal of lard and fat and sugar and grease and then pray, God bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. And I always wonder what God thinks during a prayer like that for food like that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to get obsessive about diet or exercise. Paul puts it like this. 
offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your body. Body's not a neutral thing. It's not a machine. It's a gift from God. It's an amazing design. And I'm to offer it, and, and this is kind of amazing. The Bible says this. Your body is holy. So many people are taught not to like their bodies. Your body is pleasing to God, and it should be pleasing to you. In fact, here's one of the most striking statements for the prototype. Adam and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. And you know, the Bible never tells us what they looked like. Maybe they didn't look like supermodels. They were just not ashamed of the bodies God gave them. So in a culture of constant body shaming and eating disorders and fear of aging and obsessing over appearance and rejecting my body's to this or not enough this or I don't like this or it should be different or it should be operate different or as a church, can we agree that in God's eyes, every single body is holy and pleasing? Every age spot, every wrinkle, every gray hair, every non-hair, every face, every shape, every size, every color, every condition, abled or disabled, disease or undiseased, your body, your body was designed by God and is precious to God and is exactly the body once on earth for you to live in as your little kingdom. So today, thank God that you, yes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's our bodies. And our bodies will be resurrected into a glorious state one day, everybody. I had a dad that was here after one of the services, and he has a little daughter who's precious to him, but with very severe disabilities. And he was asking, now, is that the body God designed? And I said, disability, pain, dysfunction, human suffering, is not the design of God. That's what came into the world through the fall. But part of what's amazing about God is, is that he takes every single person, every body, and brings great good into the world through it. And that little body matters immensely to God. And one day in the resurrection, we'll find healing and wholeness because God loves bodies. And you got one of those. I ought to walk around every day. God, thank you. I can't believe I got this. Can't believe it works as well as it does. So anything in your bodily life that you want to bring in alignment with God's design. Number two, you have a work life. Sometimes people think the Garden of Eden was like a retirement community and that work didn't come along until after the fall. But that's not true. From the Adam story, Genesis 2, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God himself is a worker, a designer, and he made us in his image to continue to his work. God made the whole earth, but he puts man in a garden. What's the difference between a jungle and a garden? And it's design. A jungle happens by default. With a garden, there is a gardener. There is somebody who's planting and planting and seeding and weeding and watering. And this is the great job that Adam and Eve were given to make the entire earth flourish, to take it from jungle to garden in every respect. Work is a real good thing. Andy Crouch notes that the task God gives to Adam is to take the good that God created, all of creation is good, and to add even more value to it. We are to move from creation, in other words, to culture, 
from jungle to garden, from good to very good. Eggs are good, but eggs benedict are very good. Wheat is good, but cinnabons are very good. Grapes are good, but wine is? You can decide that one on your own. Here's the fundamental challenge for you designing your work. We're, we're to take what is good and make it very good. And of course now, in a fallen world, very often we're working on what's bad, what's really bad, to redeem it. Your work life is given to you from God, and so Paul writes this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, whatever it is, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know, think about this, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ, your servant. People think, oh, I got a bad boss, grumpy, unfair, whatever. No, no, no. Here's the deal. You work for Jesus. And one day a reward is coming. Now, maybe you don't like your work right now and you want to aspire to something different. That's great. But for the moment, whatever it is that you're doing, all your heart. Do I have a great attitude? Do I try to bless my coworkers? Do I ask God constantly for his help so it's something we're doing together? When I'm in default mode, vocationally, I just punch the clock. I just check out. I don't think about working for God. I'm not doing it with my whole heart. This is very common. Gallup had a recent State of American Workplace survey that found two-thirds of American workers are not engaged in their jobs. A guy named John Maxwell wrote that outside of your genes, job satisfaction is the single most powerful predictor of longevity for your life. Now that you know that, how many of you feel like you might die at any minute? All your heart. All, am I working by design? Maybe you're a student, and Adam has something to say to you as well. You might think if you're in school, work is a long way off, something you'll do someday else. This is Genesis 2. The Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. You understand, uh, this is about disciplines that are core to human learning. In the ancient world, to name was not just to give a label. It meant to study, to discern, to observe, to research, and articulate the nature of something. So this is biology and zoology and animal husbandry and and by extension, all aspects of learning that God gave to his little image bearers. So if you're a student, learn with diligence and joy. It's what we're made for. If you're a student, don't live in this performance-driven anxiety about grades that just crushes so many young people. Because God loves you no matter what. Don't cheat on tests. Just learn with integrity. And be grateful. There's a, a guy, Tal Ben-Shahar, taught a course on happiness at Harvard, became the most popular course at Harvard. And he went on to uh, travel around the world. He went to a real impoverished part of the world to talk about education to students. And since they didn't speak English, he was looking for some source of humor to connect with them, because he was having to talk through a translator. And so he asked, how many of you really like homework? 
And he knew from speaking to students in America that nobody would raise their hand. But in this impoverished, under-resourced part of the developing world, when he asked that question, everybody raised their hand. He was not prepared for that because they all knew that for them, learning was not a privilege that they were entitled to. It was a gift that might deliver them from poverty and despair. Maybe you're older. Where's the Bible verse that says, thou shalt retire at 65 and cash out thy house and move to Sacramento? (laughs) You know, the word retire is not in the Bible. You may stop working for a paycheck, but you can volunteer, you can mentor, you can serve, you can tutor, you can pray, you can help, you can encourage. As long as we're alive, we have a purpose. We are designed that way. You are not done if you are not dead. One more word about work. From the beginning, our work has involved caring for the world that God created and that God loved. I, for the life of me, will never understand why people inside or outside the church Do not know that environmentalism is a passionate concern for followers of Jesus. In fact, we believe that we live in a creation, not just an environment that was made by God and belongs to God and was declared good by God, and we will be accountable to God for our stewardship of it. So when you recycle, when you spare the air, when you lessen your carbon footprint, when you plant a flower or turn down the thermostat or carpool and do it in Jesus' name, you are giving a tiny little gift to the Father whose world after all this is. This too is discipleship to Jesus. So is there any area in your work life where you've just been kind of going by default on autopilot and you need to shift in the design mode. It's an amazing thing to be able to add value, to go from, from creation to culture, from good or even bad to very good. You got a bodily life, you got a work life, then you got a relational life. This is amazing. God didn't have to do this. He could have just stopped with Adam. But he actually said, Good, 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 very good. But then when Adam was alone, God said, not good. We're designed for connection. And this actually comes from the Adam story also. Uh, When Eve is created, the word that's commonly translated rib, you might have heard of that idea of a rib coming from Adam's side, and it sounds a little odd. Actually, the Hebrew word most often means side, kind of like a side of beef. If you have a new international version, you will see that in the footnotes. And the idea is that in isolation, we are not complete. Adam was not complete. He needed to be made whole. He needed to be completed. And that happens in relationship. And it is just as true for single people as it is for married people. So let's start with marriage for a moment. It's amazing to me that nobody would ever think of building a house without having a blueprint. If you're building a house and somebody asks you to build on a ranch or a Cape Cod, nobody would say, I don't know, I'll tell you when it's done. But people go for years in a marriage in default mode. Do I speak to the person in this relationship by design or by default? When Adam first sees Eve, his heart is so melted that he breaks out into poetry. This thou is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Do you think he always spoke to Eve in poetry? Or over time did he come just to take her for granted by default. Or eventually, when she asked, Adam, do you still love me? Did he eventually just say, who else? Because there was nobody else. You have to think about that one for a moment. It was like that was just Eve. So it's 
kind of funny. Uh, or not. A good marriage takes learning and studying and trial and error and time and, and observation. When I was first married, because my parents' marriage had appeared close to me, I thought I knew everything I needed to know about marriage. The first gift I got for Nancy, I knew she would love. It was a very colorful and flowery and glittery dress. And when she opened it, she paused and said, John, this looks exactly like something your mother would wear. And I said, yes, I knew you would love it. Because <laughs> it was fearfully and wonderfully made. And then that led to a kind of an interesting conversation. The next gift I got her were pierced earrings. And she had to admit this time that they were lovely and tasteful. The only problem this time was she did not have pierced ears. <laughs> and I think her exact words were, I would think that if you slept in the same bed with somebody, you would know if their ears were pierced. And that led to an interesting conversation. It's very telling that for Adam and Eve, their sin against God damaged their relational life with each other. When God asked Adam what he had done, Adam's first response was to throw Eve under the bus. Just blame the woman. So God had to invent reconciliation. Think a moment about your relationships. You know, God didn't have to do this. God could have made you the only person on the planet or had you live in isolation, but he's created other human beings to know and serve and love. That's unbelievable. We just take it for granted, like we're entitled to that, like we did something to earn it. No, we didn't. Am I living by design with the people in my life? Am I friends with people who are influencing me in a Godward direction? Do we, play, do we pray together? Do we call out the best in each other? Do I share my struggles with them? Do I tell about my temptations and my sin and failure and guilt? Do I put as least as much effort into my relationships as I do into my work life. Because where we live right now, it will try to suck you into idolizing your work life and neglecting your relationship life. Just put it on default mode. Nancy, my wife, is constantly taking pictures of articles or something in nature and sending them to our kids or to our friends as a way of saying, I'm thinking about you, I care about you. And I keep learning from that. Am I connecting by design or by default? You have a bodily life, it's amazing. You have a work life. What a remarkable gift. Don't take that for granted. You have a relational life. There are other human beings in your world that love and care for you or, or want to. And then you have a spiritual life. Above everything else, you and I were designed for life with God. In fact, this is the great design secret of our universe. The whole universe was created. The earth was brought into existence deeply so that this magnificent God could come live with human beings. And we would work on this great project together. This too from the Adam story, Genesis 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Walking is about the simplest, oldest, most common activity two human beings can do together. Don't need any money, don't need any education. As long as there have been people. Friends do it for recreation. 
Lovers walk together hand in hand. Parents will do it with little toddlers where they just stick a little finger down and that little guy will reach up and be so proud to walk. Old married couples do it with canes and walkers. All through the Bible, there is this picture of walking with God. It is said of a man named Enoch. We don't know much else about him, but he walked with God. And then God's friend Abraham, and then Moses, and then David made lots of mistakes, but walked with God. But it all began with Adam and Eve and God and a garden in the cool of the day. And I expect they talked about their work and their plans and their ideas, where they needed help, how yesterday went, what are the dreams for tomorrow. And God loved them. And God loved those little walks. Are you walking with God by design? Do you make enough time to connect with him, to be with him? Do you pray and tell him everything honestly that's on your heart? Do you worship this magnificent God? Worship is such a great gift to us. And, and thank him and live in gratitude. Do I confess and ask for forgiveness? Do I read the story of the Bible so I can learn more about him? One day, God came for their walk, and they were not there. They were hiding. And that's sin and guilt and shame and fear and worry. And I was thinking about how we hide from God. Just avoid prayer, avoid church, avoid the Bible, avoid people in my life group that would speak truth, avoid naming the sin, the habit, or the pattern. Avoid thinking about God. You're really good at not thinking about God. And here's the main thing I want to tell you today. Even if you have been hiding from God a long time, God is ready to find you. And I have a picture of this. We have a grandson who is 15 months old. He is actually in the nursery even as we speak. About his favorite game, he's been staying with us pretty much all week. About his favorite game is, I will say to him, Chance, I'm going to get away, and you'll never be able to find me. And then I'll run around the corner and say, you'll never find me this time. And then I will hear those little hands and those little knees slapping the ground. He's mostly crawling now, and he always finds me. And when he does, his face is shining, and he has a great big grin. You can't get away from me, old man. And he sticks those arms way out. Come here. And so for the last about six days, we've been doing this over and over and over. I forget, you know how much work it is to watch a 15-month-old child? Man, sometimes I get exhausted playing the game, running in the bathroom and close the door and lock it just to get moments rest, and all of a sudden there's that tap, tap, tap again. There he is. Well, that's God. You look at our world. You look at all the pain and all the evil and all the hate and all the injustice, and, and, and you think God's design has been irre irrevocably spoiled. But, of course, God has a design solution for that. It's in the Adam story, actually. He said to the serpent, the evil one, the tempter, in Genesis 3, that there would come an offspring from Eve, an offspring from the woman. And, and there'd be kind of a battle between evil 
and this son of Eve. And that son, although wounded by evil himself, would crush the head that is the life, the power of the serpent, the evil. And so it was. Jesus, who is called the second Adam, Adam 2.0, the upgrade, the new design for life, came and died on a cross for the first Adam and the first Eve and all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve who have ever lived ever since. So that your sins could be forgiven and your and my shame could be healed. And if you come out of hiding, if you confess your sins and repent from your old ways and just give God half a chance, you'll hear those divine footsteps coming around the corner and the face of God will shine on you and his arms will open wide and you can begin your walk with God through Jesus, the second Adam, and that is how you live by design. Heavenly Father, thank you for the amazing gift of this world. Thank you for all the bodies that you have given to us in here. We take them for granted. Some of them are sick or ill or hurting or troubled in one way or another and need your touch, need healing. Thank you for our work lives. Thank you that we get to add value to what you have created. Thank you for our relationships, that we get to have friends, brothers and sisters to care for. Thank you that you want to walk with us. And I pray right now, God, that for everybody that's here, if there's any area in their life where they need to make a change, that right now they would make that decision, put that stake in the ground, and that you would help them to walk together with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I hope that this message blessed you, challenged you, inspired you to live differently this week as a follower of Jesus. And we hope you'll come back next week and join us again. And in the meantime, stay in touch with us on social media. Have a great week.